Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 181. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And after two and a half years of dodging this dastardly devil, COVID finally got me. But COVID might be the least of our worries this summer. Because now is a time to stay vigilant. I have decided that the global monkeypox outbreak represents a public health emergency of international concern. And there are now more than 16,000 reported cases from 75 countries and territories and five deaths. WHO's assessment is that the risk of monkeypox is moderate globally and in all regions, except in the European region, where we assess the risk is high. Here we go again. Remember that guy? That's World Health Organization Director General Tetros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. That is a very tough name to say, but he was the guy sounding the alarm about COVID a few years ago. And now he's sounding the alarm about monkeypox. Just when you thought our modern reality couldn't get any weirder, any darker, any scarier, enter monkeypox. Monkeypox. Monkeypox might turn out to be the fourth horseman of the apocalypse right after COVID, Donald Trump, and Tucker Carlson. But go ahead and add monkeypox to the very long list of shit that can rightfully keep you up at night in 2022 in America. And you thought hearing Donald Trump talk about COVID was bad? Just wait till he gets going on monkeypox. Monkeypox or not. This is a challenging time to be alive. Every time we get through one global or national crisis, it feels like another one hits. But that's our new normal. We live in a world of dynamic, serious, multiplying threats. Threats to our planet. Threats to our national security. Threats to our democracy. Threats to our health. Threats to our wallets. Threats to our sanity. Some are supposed to be a time to chill, and relax, and enjoy. And we're all trying to find space to do that. But the threats, and the challenges, and the wars, and the insurrectionists, and the viruses don't take summers off. And this summer in America especially, stakes is high. So as much as we'd all like to check out and chill as we go into August, the second half of our summer of 2022 is likely to be as weird and as dark as the first half. We haven't even really gotten into midterm election season yet, and Trump hasn't formally declared his candidacy for president yet. We haven't even cleared COVID yet. Believe me, I know. I dodged that mother like Neo in the Matrix for over two years. But right after I got back from Maine, and the day after President Biden announced that he was positive, I got slammed with a sore throat and chest tightness late last Thursday evening, right in the middle of watching Big Timber on Netflix with my boys and my mom. My wife was traveling out of town for work, 
and I took a home test for the gazillionth time. And sure enough, I saw those dreaded double lines. It was quick. There was no head fake. There was no squinting to see if there was a second line. That sucker popped up and waved to me and punched me in the throat and threw a very disruptive wrench into my life and that of my family. I felt like somewhere there was the great evil voice of COVID saying, See, motherfucker, I finally got you too. And so for the next 48 hours, I was in the basement, eating lots of ice pops, missing my family, tweeting, questioning my existence, and finally finishing the final season of Ozark, which is awesome, by the way. But like Ruth Langmore on Ozark, that virus quickly ran through my story, blasting people. My three-year-old tested positive 48 hours later. My six-year-old, 24 hours after that. And my mom, 24 hours after that. My wife got back from her trip to the House of Nasty and thankfully has managed to dodge it. She had her turn back in Christmas, so maybe that saved her. So far. But overall, my symptoms have been minor. I had the minor upper respiratory stuff that maybe you can still hear, nasal congestion, sore throat, coughing, some chest tightness, but not too bad so far overall. The worst of it was definitely the fogginess and exhaustion, which I'm still feeling now. But I qualified for Paxlovid, and I got it in the first 24 hours, and overall, my symptoms have been mild, thankfully. Today, for me, is day six, and like Joe Biden and Andy Dufresne, I am finally out of isolation. My six-year-old, he never really slowed down. Just a few sniffles and lots of lobbying to take full advantage of the opportunity to watch more TV than he ever has in his life. But my three-year-old got the worst of it. Maybe especially since he's not yet vaccinated. It was tough to get him an appointment. And the truth is, we didn't push hard enough to get it done right away. And that's a decision I'll kick myself for for the rest of my life. He was down hard for 48 hours with a fear and looked sicker than he's ever looked in his life. Few things are worse than watching your sick kid. But thankfully, amazingly, after dozens of ice pops, lots of children's Tylenol, and two days of the hardest sleep of his life, he's back to bouncing around like a pinball, per usual. And we've been making the most of our isolation together. Riding quads, playing cards, building Legos, swimming in the pool and the local creek, and doing all the things we can still do up in the mountains, where we're well away from everyone, unless we don't want to be. We're resting, hydrating, and watching lots of Mr. Rogers, Is It Cake, and Big Timber. We're definitely bonding in the suck, which is what we do. My mom, at age 74, got on Paxlovid right away, thank you science, and so far, Seems to be doing well, thank God. Now, I'm double-vaxxed and boosted, which undoubtedly helped. Same with my older son, my wife, my mom. But for me, it's especially important, given my toxin exposures at Ground Zero on 9-11 as a first responder, and in Iraq and Kuwait with the Army. Speaking of toxin exposures, we're going to go much deeper on that coming up with our special guest. But I'm extremely grateful for science and for the continued courage, diligence, and endurance of everyone who continues to be on the front lines right now fighting this nasty thing. You're all heroes and helpers. And we say it all the time, look for the helpers. And since I'm sharing about health stuff, I also want to say how grateful I am for the Zadroga 9-11 health program. 
It's something we've talked about on this show in the past, especially with Rob Sarah of the Firefighters, the FDNY hero. But anyone who was down near Ground Zero in New York on or around 9-11, please register for the health program. It's free and it's excellent and is getting more efficient every year. Do it for yourself, but do it also for others so they can have the research to help our entire community. And please spread the word to anyone you know that was down there. You can send them to mountsinai.org or just Google the 9-11 health program. I continue to be extremely thankful for science, for the support, and for how lucky we are, and for the new season of Peaky Blinders. But like Oswald Mosley, the fascist bad guy from Peaky Blinders, this virus is still a devil. And this variant, while apparently more mild, is as contagious as they say it is. As soon as I got it, my doctor told me to expect everyone in the house to get it. And unfortunately, he was right. So if this bastard hasn't gotten you already, this might be the time. He's hunting. So stay vigilant. A few episodes ago, I brought back legendary Marine Corps fighter pilot and former candidate for Senate from Kentucky, Amy McGrath. We did a Top Gun special episode. In that episode, I introduced you to Operation Liberty, a new campaign I'm a part of with Amy and former IAVA executive director and Iraq veteran Allison Jaslow. And we're focused on protecting American troops, veterans, and our national security after the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. We talked about how the decision to overturn Roe will have serious impacts on women and non-binary service members and veterans, and how it will also weaken our national defense, damage military morale, readiness, recruiting, and retention. If you haven't heard that already, it's episode 178. You can also learn more at OperationLiberty.us. We've been talking about it over the last couple of episodes, and we will continue to talk about it going forward. But it's one way we can fight back in a time where there's a need for fighting. In every episode, I try to bring you a leader who is fighting back and ways you can fight back, ways you can do something. Because as I've often repeated, nobody made a greater mistake than he or she who did nothing because they could only do little. And every day, as the shitstorm of local, national, and global news throws a new wave at us, There are leaders who are stepping up to face that storm. Leaders like Fred Gutenberg on school shootings. Leaders like John Updike on open primaries. Leaders like Lindsey Church on LGBTQ issues. Leaders like Adam Kinzinger on the January 6th hearing, who you saw front and center this week. And leaders like Nolan Peterson in Ukraine. We've had conversations on this show with leaders from all parties and no party at all. We've had Emmy Award winners, pro athletes, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Secretaries of Defense, Medal of Freedom recipients, Medal of Honor recipients. We've had candidates for president. We've had governors, representatives, and candidates for all kinds of offices. But believe it or not, we've never had a sitting United States senator on this show. We've had former senators like Chuck Hagel, but for whatever reason, we've never had a sitting senator on this show. Well, that changes now. And it changes in the best way possible with my single favorite member of the United States Senate from one of the most amazing states in America. And like the state he comes from, 
This leader is imposing, tough, and real. And he's independent. And he's definitely a Democrat. We'll talk more about that. But when it comes to Democrats, he's definitely among the most independent. And not in an annoying, counterproductive, selfish, destructive way like Joe Manchin from West Virginia. This guy doesn't go with the flow. And he doesn't do things to be popular. He never forgets where he comes from. He gets shit done and he calls it like it is. And in the true spirit of his state, which is now popularized by the smash hit TV show, Yellowstone. Lord God, give us rain and a little luck and we'll do the rest. Amen. He started out as a farmer. He's been an elementary school music teacher. He's a grandfather. He and his wife, Charlotte, still farm the same land near the town of Big Sand that was homesteaded by his grandparents back in 1912. He's the senior senator from the great state of Montana, Senator John Tester. Now, I met Senator Tester when he first came to the Senate in 2006. Two years earlier, I had founded Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, and my young team and I were just getting our sea legs in Washington. And in walked a senator who looked and acted more like a football coach than like yet another professional politician. Big dudes who don't bullshit tend to gravitate toward other big dudes who don't bullshit. And Senator Tester was no bullshit. He was sincere. He was prepared. And he was honest. And from day one, if he told you he was going to do something, he did it. And he operated in the spirit of Teddy Roosevelt. He spoke softly and carried a big stick, especially when it came to farmers, especially when it came to Montana, and especially when it came to veterans. And his influence stick got bigger in 2017 when he became ranking member of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. He built a strong reputation as a guy who would work across partisan lines, stay focused, and get stuff done. Now, he's not a senator you see on TV a lot, but he's a senator you know is doing the work. If every senator played a position on the football field, and Tester could do that more than most, he'd definitely be an offensive lineman. He's the kind of guy who grinds it out play after play without ever having his name called by the announcer and without any of the flashing lights or touchdown dances. He's the guy who gets your back, maybe like a left tackle on the offensive line, maybe even more so like a Pro Bowl center. He's subtly making it all happen. He's bashing it forward three yards at a time, and he rarely gets the credit. Now, as the ranking member of SFAC, Tester did burst into the national spotlight when he appropriately raised concerns about the nomination of Dr. Ronnie Jackson by Donald Trump to head the Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, there were allegations that Jackson had dispensed medication in a medically unethical fashion, that he was drunk on an overseas trip and he drunkenly banged on the hotel door of a female colleague. The allegations about his integrity were flying from people who knew him. They called him Dr. Feelgood. And he was the same guy when he was White House doctor who said that Donald Trump had, quote, incredibly good genes and that if he had eaten a little healthier, he could have lived to be 200 years old. That was the guy. 
He denied the allegations to the very end, but withdrew his nomination in a dazzling and bizarre flameout. And in response, President Mayhem unloaded on Tester. Tester was up for re-election, and Trump called for Tester's resignation and said the allegations against Jackson were false, and he attacked Tester in his home state and tried to knock him out. And he failed. Tester survived, and he saved America from Jackson becoming VA secretary. But Washington, of course, being what it is, Jackson failed into another influential leadership position and is now a ridiculous and consistently dangerous Trumpist and congressman from Texas's 13th congressional district. He's a daily dose of the stupid. And most recently, he made a video defending AR-15s on the same day the Uvalde massacre report was released. Unfortunately, Jackson is still around, but Tester's influence is even greater. And in 2021, he became chairman of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, maybe the most bipartisan and effective committee in the entire U.S. Senate. He's also a member of the Commerce, Indian Affairs, Banking, and Appropriations Committees. And this week, he's leading the fight to pass the most important piece of legislation for veterans since the 2008 new GI Bill. This week, he's fighting to overcome the stupidity of Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey, our asshole of the week from a few weeks ago. He's fighting to overcome maddening, last-minute fuckery by cowardly members of the Senate who will continue to play games with the lives of veterans. They will frustrate us. Jon Stewart will light them up on Twitter. People will be outraged. But we will eventually win. And the Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson honoring our PACT Act will pass. And it'll expand care for veterans exposed to toxic burn pits and expands care to veterans who are exposed to Agent Orange outside of Vietnam. This will support and serve hundreds of thousands of vets, including many who are fighting cancer right now. Our friends are dying every day, but help is on the way. Thanks to the intrepid John Tester, who's also a lot of fun. He likes to crack jokes. He doesn't take himself too seriously, and he legitimately cares about people. They say America usually elects the candidate for president they'd most like to have a beer with. Well, I can tell you one thing. There's no politician in America that I'd rather have a beer with than John Tester. And after this conversation, you'll understand why. Washington can be a hopeless place, a barren place especially now. But there are some who are tough enough, true enough, smart enough to survive the hardest times and pull others along with them. That's the spirit behind Yellowstone, the show with Kevin Costner about a political family in Montana that's fighting to protect each other and their way of life. But even more so, it's the spirit of Montana itself. It's the spirit of John Tester, and it's the spirit of America. It's a spirit that helped homesteaders across the country all the way to Montana. And it's the spirit we need now in America so badly. And it's a spirit that motivated me for years. And again this week when I had COVID. And it's a spirit that's contagious. More contagious than the stupid. More contagious than COVID. More contagious than monkeypox. When I say look for the helpers, 
It's hard to see leaders in Washington that fit that mold. But Senator John Tester is one of them. They call Montana Big Sky Country, a nickname that came from a 1962 promotion of the Montana State Highway Department. And it's a reference to the unobstructed skyline in the state. The sky's so big that it seems to overwhelm the landscape at times. This is a time in America where it's easy to have your head down and to focus what's on the ground and only what's in front of you. It's a time in America where it's easy to forget to look up. But when you do, the big sky of Montana, of America, and of our potential can still inspire you. Welcome to a conversation about what's possible in Washington and in America. Welcome to a look up and a look forward. Welcome to Big Sky Country. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 181. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, and especially to my fellow veterans, I am very happy to finally have on the show my favorite United States senator, one of my favorite guys in D.C. Now, candidly, there aren't a lot of people I like in D.C. anyway, but after a very long wait, I am very happy and thrilled and honored to finally have joining us on Independent Americans, the great and powerful Senator John Tester. Welcome to Independent American Senator. Paul, let me, let me tell you something. Uh, great introduction. I appreciate it. I don't think I'm worthy of all that. But but I will tell you this. Uh, I used to see you on a weekly basis, almost a daily basis up here. You were advocating to do right by our nation's fighting men and women. And I just want to say it's great to see you again, man. Great to see you. You too. I, I miss you. I miss you. There were a lot of shitty things about working in Washington, but one of the better parts was working with you. And uh, I, I say that without reservation. You are my favorite senator, in part because you're a real human being. Uh, you're a great guy to hang around with. You're honest. You have integrity. I think you represent a lot of the best of what is possible in politics. I want to talk about, yep, you got, you know, you're missing a couple fingers from a farming accident. This is a good reason to watch on video. If you haven't before, the senator just held up his his hand. It was meant to stop, but keep going. I mean, I've, I've got mixed emotions here. You're giving me a head so big, I'm not going to get out the door. Okay, but well, no, I, I, for 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 the listeners, because they probably don't know, I'm a I'm a farmer from Montana. Uh, my folks ran a butcher shop. We took the butcher shop over. It was on the farm uh, when my folks were running it. I was nine years old. I made a mistake, stick my hand on meat grinder. Um, it, uh, long story, I think it hypnotized me. I was done grinding meat and all that. But the question you guys are asking yourselves right now is why would a nine-year-old be grinding meat? And, uh, I will tell you that I did a lot of things at nine years old. I ran a baler, I ran a farm tractor, uh, we worked and, uh, and I will tell you that it was a life-changing event. I probably wouldn't be a U.S. Senator if this wouldn't happen, but I do not recommend that any of you go out there and get in a fight with power equipment because power equipment always wins. There's no antiseptic way of taking off limbs. Uh, and it's very, very rough. And, and quite frankly, I learned a lot from that experience. I consider it a failure in life and you learn a lot from your failures. Hmm. 
but but in the end, um, it's something that my folks never looked at as a disability. They looked at it as something I need to live with and adapt to, and I did it, and I've never considered it a disability. In fact, Paul, you know this. When I first got here, they, they, there were stories written time and time again about this guy's mangled left hand, and I have never, ever, ever, I've never seen my hand as a mangled left hand. I've seen it as a hand that doesn't have as many fingers on it as my other hand does. And uh, so uh, it's just the way it is. Man. I love it. This, this is part This is part of why we love it. you. You kind of got a, a, for Giants fans, football fans, like a JPP hand, right? Like Jason Pierre-Paul lost, I think, three fingers in a, in a 4th of July fireworks accident. So if you were on the football field, you'd probably have some really cool kind of thing on it. But um, it has empowered you. And, you know, that whole story, I think, underscores why you have made such a connection with me and so many other people. You're a real human being. Which is which? You're a grounded human being. You're thankfully the chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee now, but you're also a farmer. I wore this shirt since you showed me yours. Uh, I'm actually wearing a shirt in in your <laughs> honor. It is it is your two of your favorite things. It's a Ukrainian uh, farm tractor yeah. pulling a Russian tank, yeah. and it's kind of your two favorite things: farmers and veterans together in one shot. So I wore that in your honor. I want to meet that farmer. I'll tell you that. I want to meet that farmer. That guy's that that's called balls right there. Well, there's there's a lot I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you a little bit about Ukraine. I want to talk about the PACT Act and all that's going on with veterans. I want to talk about the state of America and the state of politics. Um, I I would love to 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 get into some of our funner questions. Um, But as a starting point, you know, you and I met, I think when we, we both kind of hit Washington at the same time. Right. 2006 was your first year in the Senate uh, and you still owe me a basketball game. You, you challenged me and your staff to my staff to a basketball game. And I lost about 35 pounds. If my Achilles will ever get back to normal, I think I could almost compete with you. But it's going to be tough. You're a lot younger than I am, man. You're well, I got I got leaner. I got I got a little leaner right now. I've got covid. So that might slow me down. But even then with covid, I saw you and Senator Booker doing this body check video on Capitol Hill. I, I think you're both a little step slow. You're two of the biggest dudes on, on Capitol Hill. So you're like a one-two punch of, of, I think he was a tight end and maybe you'd be a tackle. I don't think anybody would want to mess with you guys, right? But we do have, we'll put a pin in it. Everyone should know that Senator uh, Tester owes me at least a three-on-three basketball game at some time. Maybe we'll do it to raise money for a veterans charity. But let me, let, right? Let me ask you about what's front and center. Uh, yeah. Right now, right now uh, the PAC Act, we covered it on this show maybe the biggest piece of veterans legislation since we all worked together on the new GI bill is on to use a football analogy. Maybe we're on the five yard line. Uh, I started talking to you about this back in like 2006, we started this momentum of making people of aware, aware of what is our generation's agent orange. Uh, now, unsurprisingly, you and I have been through this game before. There's one Senator that's been standing in the way back when we did the clay hunt bill, it was Senator Tom Coburn. When we did the Zadroga bills, it was Mike Lee and Rand Paul. Now it's Senator Pat Toomey that John Stewart has made public enemy number one. Uh, can you update folks without going too deep into the bill? Because I think this audience understands the importance of it. Where are we strategically in getting this done? Because you've been the quarterback throughout it. And I want to give you the credit because you deserve it. You took meetings with us early on. You understood it. You carried our message. But we're really close now. So we're recording this on Tuesday. We're going to get this done this week or what? Yeah, we're going to get it done. It should be done on Thursday. Look, uh, we, we got it done for the 4th of July, and there was a mistake made on the House side, which 
you know, kind of makes the enamel on my teeth chip because I don't like people <laughs> making mistakes. We passed it with a vote of 84. It would have been 86. We had two senators that were gone that were going to vote for it, but they were gone. 80, 84 votes in the United States Senate is like uh, uh, incredible huge victory. I mean, you never get those kind of victories on a bill that, that spends, uh, uh, you, you know, close to $30 billion a year, quite frankly, to take care of our veterans. But we've got that kind of vote. Uh, Toomey, who, by the way, I've worked with him on issues and I've been opposed to him on issues. That's the way the Senate works. I'm opposed to him on this one big time. And I don't understand it because the bill passed with 84 votes, yet they're still holding it up, still wasting time. When, quite honestly, every day we waste is another veteran that is dying from uh, a disease, whether it's a cancer or a lung disorder or whatever it may, may be due to burn pits. And then you've got Agent Orange, finally hypertension is covered in this bill. And those folks that live that served in Vietnam and, and were exposed to Agent Orange are older than I am, okay? And I, I'm getting to be older in dirt. So that's, <laughs> that's a problem. And so getting this bill across the finish line is time sensitive. As soon as the Senate passes it, it goes to the president's desk. I believe it'll pass this Thursday. And uh, it'll go to the president's desk immediately, and, and we'll move on from there, and uh, veterans will get the benefits they've earned. So you think we'll finally have a, a signing ceremony at the White House before the summer break? Uh, yeah, it, it could well be before we break for August. We break, I think, on August 4th. Uh, it could well be that week, uh, first, second, third, somewhere in there. Um, you know, and, and that'll be uh, – That'll be a great day for this country, by the way. That, that'll be a, it'll be a great day for this country because what that means is in an all-volunteer military that we're finally living up the promises you make people when they sign that sheet of paper and, and say, I'm going to serve this country in the military. Can, can Whereas I, before, and you know this, Paul, before folks come back and they had to fight for their benefits, that should not be happening after this bill is signed. Senator, there's like, you know, this is, this is a perfect uh, encapsulation of Washington. There, there's some good in here. But it's also frustrating as hell. And I want to just get your kind of no shit take on this. I mean, it's taken us really decades to get this done. And we had a lot of resistance. Um, you had what, over a dozen senators vote no. And I don't want to focus too much on, on the downside here, but I think it's important. How do U.S. senators vote no on something like this and get away with it. And even one senator, who I think Senator Toomey maybe was hoping John Stewart and the whole world wouldn't notice, even if he does block this and it costs us days and it costs us lives, it doesn't seem like there's a real political price to pay for him. So can you can you talk about that? Because the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, when you guys work together, you're an example of how Washington can work. But when things get stuck there, it's also an example of how Washington is broken. So this is much bigger than about veterans. This is about Washington, about whether government can work on priorities. So how do senators vote no on this and get away with it? I don't know, Paul. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how. I wasn't here when we sent folks like you off to Iraq, but I don't know how you could send folks to the Middle East or any war as far as that goes. And then when they come back changed, you can't pay for it. And by the way, in this particular case, they put the, 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 the bill for the Iraq war was put on the credit card. And now we come back and I heard many of them say they'll all deny it, but it's a fact. I heard them say, Jesus, $278.5 billion over 10 years. That's almost 28 billion a year. We can't afford that. And my point is, is if you can't afford it, you shouldn't send them off. Okay, this is part. This is part of the contract. Part of the contract is if they come out with an arm blown off, or they come out with mental health issues, or they come out with toxic exposure, we take care of it as a nation. The American taxpayer does, and that's what this is about. And so, for those people who voted no, 
Uh, I, I don't know how you can justify it, but they need to be held accountable. Um, one of the members of the VA committee took offense to the VFW holding them accountable with their membership. But the truth is, is that this is the way it is. I mean, this is the way it is. And and you can always figure out reasons to vote for or against a candidate. It's wherever your priorities are. But number one, you have to vote. And number two, you have to call them out. And that, by the way, that's what people like you, that's what people like Stewart do. That's what that all the folks, I mean, they called them out. They called them out. Stewart called them out on the 9-11 folks, and he's called them out on this, and it's made it happen. But but I want to say something else before we go. Those those 84 or 86 people who to vote for this bill, I can't thank them enough because we usually don't get that those numbers to vote. I respect everybody who voted against it. Make no mistake about it. I'm going to be working with them at a different venue, and I respect them. But I think it was the wrong vote. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I didn't know if we were going to get through with this price tag, right? We've been here before. People said the GI Bill was too expensive. And, and Senator Jim Webb said at the time, no dollar that goes into a veteran's head is wasted. And now we see the long-term impact of that. But I also want to drill down on something else here, Senator. You and I and others, we started strategizing around this over a decade ago. We knew that if we could get to the president because of Bo Biden's personal exposure and his, his, his statement that maybe burn pits caused Bo's cancer and caused his death, that that would be a breakthrough. But I think if we didn't have Jon Stewart, I don't think this would have happened. Like the John Stewart one man shame machine seems to make things move that otherwise can't move, which is, again, kind of an indictment of where Washington is. I hope he can get the Medal of Freedom because if he ever deserved it, it was for this and his work with 9-11 first responders. I hope he comes on the show. But really, like as a political strategist yourself. He was like uh, he was like an MLRS. He's like what the Ukrainians need right now to tip the tide. If we didn't have John Stewart, do you think this would have happened? I don't know, but thank God we had him. And and I will tell you that John was masterful. Uh, John John uh, understood what had to happen. He did not walk into a corner and say my way or the highway. He gave me enough space to work. And by the way, I'm I wasn't perfect on this bill by any stretch of the imagination, but he gave me the space to work. And and uh, and and I think that his push was huge. I, I can also tell you. Um, that, that Schumer was very, very important in getting this bill across the finish line, as was the president. Um, without, without those two taking this up and taking it seriously, and maybe it was the pressure that Stewart put on him to do it, but I do think the Bo Biden story had an incredible, phenomenal effect uh, on the president, and I think that he took this issue seriously. I think um, Senator Schumer, in the leadership position he has, being able to schedule saying the things he said, that people knew this was coming to the floor. I think it, it made a big, big difference. And in the end, um, you know, we got a big vote out of it. But 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 look, all the VSOs, this was their number one issue, maybe with the exception of one of them, which I don't think really is a VS veteran service organization. But but they all the VSOs were this was their number one issue. They all came in with a voice. You guys at IAVA, when you were the head of that, Paul, were, were, were way ahead of the curve on this stuff. And 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 it's about what happens. When people work together, when people say, all right, we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to get this done come hell or high water. And, and that's exactly what happened. And it was not only the folks on the Veterans Affairs Committee, particularly on my side of the aisle, uh, that, that stepped up. But we had a bunch of folks. We had, you know, we had folks like Tina Smith and, and Kristen Gillibrand. I hate to start mentioning names, by the way, because I'll forget somebody. But those folks helped to bring this bill to fruition 
and, and add to it. This bill was interesting because it's a big bill and it's, it, it is uh, it is a bill that we have never seen the likes of, probably as you pointed out, since the GI Bill. But but the, but the bottom line is is that that we had so many of these bills that have already been voted on, and people voted on them assuming they weren't going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So they run out to people like you, Paul, and say, mm-hmm. "Look, I voted for mm-hmm. Camp Lejeune. I voted for Camp Lejeune. In fact, I carried Camp Lejeune." So we put them all in the bill. We put them in a bill. And then we found out some of the people who actually carry those bills didn't want those bills to pass because mm-hmm. they voted against them. So it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen, but it's it's Washington. And I will tell you that for normal human beings, and I still classify myself as a normal human being, I try to stay normal. It never ha- it never goes without fail. Something comes up that you just go, how the hell could somebody like vote like this? I just don't know. Well, we're almost there. And, that, and that's going to seem easy maybe compared to some of the other stuff that's coming down the, the, the pike in the next couple of months and years. There's one issue that I want to ask you about because it's something we've covered on the show. It's something I've been focused on, which is the decision to overturn Roe and how it impacts veterans and the military. I think this is one of the most underreported parts of this entire uh, series of events. Amy McGrath was on the show to talk about it. You know, I've been working with Allison Jaslow and others on this. It feels like the VA is one place that can actually make a difference. It seems like the VA secretary has some latitude to, to provide support that nobody else in the government can. So I have a two-part question for you. Number one, one of the things we've been trying to do is change the motto to be inclusive for, I don't know, a decade now. And that hasn't moved. The secretary can do it. The president can push it. Is that going to happen? And if it, and why the hell hasn't it happened? This seems like such an easy thing for McDonough and for Biden, and it's a head-scratcher. And then separately, what can you all do uh, to support women veterans who right now feel under attack and to include active duty and even potential recruits? If someone lives in California and they're thinking about joining the military, they're worried if they get stationed in Kentucky or somewhere else, they may not have the same access to care that they would somewhere else. So this is a big issue. Number one, the motto. Number two, what, what, what can we do? What can you do more broadly to push on the VA? So it's a massive issue. Uh, I will also tell you that the motto needs to be changed. We're in the 21st century. It's a different military than we had 100 years ago, okay? It is. Women play an incredibly important part of this. And um, I have not spoken. There's been a lot of people that have been pushing for the motto change for some time now. And um, if anybody can change it, it's McDonough. I'll just tell you that. I think that he is very, very inclusive person and understands that the way it's done now has outlived its time uh, as far as addressing who serves in the military. So so I think women will be included in the model uh, before the end of this presidential term. Don't hold me to it. Okay. So that's two years, right? Like I thought well, this is one of those ones that Biden was going to check the box. I thought well, Biden would check this box right away. Now we're two years in and he still hasn't he may, done it. He may check the box before Christmas. He may check the box for the end of his fiscal year, which is the end of September. Uh, I've, I've been focused on PACT exclusively for the last year and a half. So I really haven't. But the truth is, you know, we uh, I think it needs to happen. And I think it's the right thing to happen. Now the Supreme Court decision on Roe. That's that's a little more tough. And yep. I'll tell you what, it's more tough because it's the United States Supreme Court that made a decision that said, Abortion ain't going to happen. We're going to take away women's rights. We're going to take away, first time in my lifetime, I'm 65 years old. I'll be 66 in a month, less than a month. And and it's the first time in my lifetime we're taking away women's rights in this country. Now, look, I don't, I don't care if you're 
pro-life or pro-choice, you can't tell me that a woman that goes in and, and has an abortion done, it isn't a gut-wrenching, horrible damn decision to make that has been talked over with everybody in their brother, everybody in the family, every minister, every friend, everybody. They're going to talk to everybody about this because it's a hell of a decision to have to make. And instead, we got a bunch of folks, males mainly, that are out there advocating that, that the females should not have that choice and they shouldn't have that ability to determine it. Uh, it's a horrible damn decision by the Supreme Court. And, and I don't know, look, the VA secretary can, and the president can do some tests with the executive order and for rules. But that, I'm going to tell you, Paul, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a farmer, but I don't know that that gets the job done. Because then administrations change and you go back to the other way. I think there's one or two things that have to happen. Either Congress has to act and reinstate these rights for women, or you got to change the Supreme Court. That's right. the way it is. But in the mean, but in the meantime, in the meantime, is, in the meantime is, yeah. I would just tell you, Paul, yeah. it pains me to say it because these are great people who have served this country and sacrificed greatly and sometimes sacrificed their life for this country. These are the people that are going to be paying the price for this. Yep, and, and it's not acceptable, but we are a country of laws. And I don't think that I can complain about somebody who didn't follow the law because they didn't like it or somebody who didn't go in that was subpoenaed and go in for a, for a, for a court date and then turn around and say, well, we're going to ignore what the Supreme Court can, said. Can, can, you guys, can you guys as a committee hold hearings, pressure the VA to say, look, explore every technical accommodation you can make? within the largest government healthcare system in America, at least, for example, to provide parity with ACA or other examples where the VA can make regulatory changes or access changes. I mean, even if they're small, like that might be the only place in America that you don't need congressional authorization to make uh, changes to, to to react to this. Is, is that's, that possible? Uh, that's absolutely possible. You've got to know, though, that there are folks on the Republican side of the aisle right now that will object and put up every roadblock. And I think that is without exception on the VA. But can't McDonough, can't McDonough do that himself under his authority in the same way the SecDef can? McDonough can do it with himself. But Paul, I'm just telling you, that's a rule change. There will be another secretary of the VA in a few years. They can easily change it back when he can change it. The real solution here that 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 stands the test of time is for Congress to act. I, I, I definitely I think I understand that. I think folks are looking to the VA as a place uh, where there might be some space, some room. Yeah. Right. And they can get creative. It seems to be a failure of creativity in a lot of areas. And and maybe we'll, I, we're going to keep a close eye on. It. I know you'll keep us updated. Yeah. Let me ask you to, to shift into something kind of building off of that. You know, there's kind of a crisis in America around what I call the duopoly of the two parties, right? You're 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 one of the first, maybe the only uh, statewide Democrat in a long time in Montana. You're like an independent in many ways, I think, right? Fetterman's kind of like a, an East Coast version of you, right? Like in many ways, you're, there's a populism to you. You're talking to people in Montana differently than other Democrats are. It's got to be hard being a, a moderate like you in the Democratic Party right now. And what I really want to ask is, you know, we talk a lot about independent politics. A lot of the people listening here check none of the above. What do you view as the landscape for independent candidates and, and, and unaffiliated candidates going forward in places like Montana, 
and beyond. If you if you ran as an independent in Montana, you might do better than you do as, as a Democrat. Yeah, I think I think the challenge is, is you know, this has always been a, a country of, of two parties. And um, and, and I, I'll answer your first question first. You know, the Democratic Party is a big tent. I've always felt welcome. And and I have I had my just uh, my uh, uh, have I had my disagreements with some of the leadership. Absolutely. And we make that known. And sometimes I win, sometimes I don't. But that's the way democracy works. OK, as far as going down the independent line. We've got a prime example in Montana because we've got an independent that's running for the Eastern House District that I've known for 25 years. He's a good guy. He's really a good guy. And he's worked for Republicans and he's worked for Democrats. And so he's running as an independent. Um, and, and he knows this because it's a two-party system. Where does he get his money? Because of the two-party system, you know, you got Democrats who are going to siphon votes. You got Republicans going to siphon votes. Does he really have a realistic chance of winning in the East? Now, I am still a believer that if you go out and meet the people and you make your case to the people, that anybody can win. Anybody can win. Paul Riker could win in Montana if he went out and made his case to the people. But if you don't, you're not going to win, period. And so uh, I think that that uh, there's certainly room for independent candidates out there. I think we've We've seen them. Uh, we've seen them in Maine, and we've seen them in Vermont. And uh, and Angus King is different than Bernie Sanders, but they're they're both independents, and they're both uh, they're both proud of it. Angus is incredibly proud of being an independent from Maine, and Bernie the same with Vermont. And and so I think there's room. Uh, I think there's room out there for it. But make no mistake about it. When I first ran for the state legislator, I had a guy legislature. I had a guy come up to me and say, why don't you run as independent? Why are you running as a Democrat? Well, I'm running as a Democrat because I am a Democrat, number one. And number two, if I run as an independent, I got nobody to turn to, really. I mean, hmm. you know, I, I had a guy that was a mentor of mine that was a superintendent of schools when I was going to school there in Big Sandy. And he was a Democrat and he helped me. If I was an independent, it's just the way the landscape is. He wouldn't have. And 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 I've got another prime example. When I in '92, I was contacted by a county commissioner. Says John, I've got cancer. I want you to run for county commissioner. I said I'll do it, but I'm going to run as a Democrat. And it was like somebody pulled cold water over. So it's the same thing on the Republicans. Yep. Yep. If you well, that. If you don't have the donkey or the elephant beside you, there's a whole bunch of people that are not going to take you for real, especially if they don't know you. If you can get out and let them know who you are, then the possibilities are endless. Mm. Well, I think I think that's a, an indictment of our system, but I understand you. You know, your your perspective is valuable because I hope there's a future where you can run as an independent and not have to lean on the party, whoever you are. I know we don't have a lot of time. Your staff's giving me very tight constraints here. I want to ask you another political question. One of the many, you've had many victories for veterans. One of them might have been, it was definitely saving us from Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who could have been VA secretary. He is now saying some really outrageous stuff. He's, he's run and been elected for Congress. Um, he is, in my view, representing a lot of the worst of our politics right now, but he was almost VA secretary. Trump hits you on that in Montana. Uh, and, and I think the Montana voters saw through it. Um, what does that say about our politics right now? You know, you are a reasonable guy. You're a guy who brings the temperature down. You're a guy who finds a path forward. You know, what can we learn from these kinds of situations and, and help the country move forward? Well, I think the bottom line is you got to like people who are willing to do what's right, period. Just you got to do what's right. And and I'm going to tell you, I had a lot of veterans. I had a lot of active military. I even had people in the administration that told me about Ronnie Jackson. And they asked that I protect them. And I did because I needed to. 
because retribution is a horrible thing and they didn't need to be they didn't need to have the axe come down on them they were they were strong enough and brave enough to come to me and all their stories checked out by the way they were all identical every damn one of them and you and there was a bunch of them i mean a bunch of them it's not like these folks could get in a room and figure this out and so i did what i wanted to do there was a similar thing different different reasons but a very similar candidate came up in the va and 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 the administration pulled him it wasn't the republicans that did it it was the democrats that did it i'm not particularly proud of it but the person could not be confirmed in that position uh, because of his past history. And, 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 and I think that, that that's the key. You've got to have people who are willing to do what's right. And, and I was willing to do what's right. And I would do it again, by the way, Paul, I would do it again. And it made that election it would have been an easy coast election, but it made it tougher than hell for me to win. But in the end, when I went to bed at night, I could live with myself. And that's part of the deal. If I'm sitting here and I'm hold my finger up in the air every time the wind blows, I'm changing a position. That's not who I am. And that's not why I was elected. I was elected to do the right thing and represent the people of Montana and make and keep this country the greatest country on earth. And that's what I try to do every day that I'm in office. Well, that's why the Democrats would be smart to make you, you know, more visible as the future of their party, because you're the kind of guy who appeals to independents like me and so many other people. I got one last question for you, then I'll let you go. This is one that, that divides America. This is independent Americans. We try to bring people together. We try to add light to contrast to heat. But there's one question that divides America that you are uniquely qualified to talk about. Senator John Tester, if you had to choose one, pancakes or waffles? Oh, man, Paul, I'm a French toast guy. Oh, I see. You can't split the difference. Get the hell out of here, man. I'm a French toast guy. You know, put a little maple syrup. Okay. If I got to pick one, pancakes or waffles, and they're just plain. I mean, there's no bananas in them. Whatever you want. Blueberries, none of that stuff. I'm a pancakes guy. What can I say? Although I like waffles, but French toast is my favorite. Okay. So look at me, man. Look at, look at me. <laughs> okay. Can you see this? There ain't many foods that I don't like to eat. All right. So. You know, it's six and one half a dozen of the other in most cases. Right? I, I did say you were uniquely qualified and, and you continue to be uniquely qualified as a tremendous leader. I just want to tell you, like flat out, I appreciate the hell out of you. You represent the best of what this country is all about. Uh, I think everybody respects you, Democrat, Republican, everywhere in between. Uh, I'm honored to know you. I'm grateful for all you're doing. Uh, I hope that we can get together soon and have a drink and some pancakes, waffles, and French toast to celebrate the victory of the PAC Act. And I hope you'll you'll come on the show again so we can continue the conversation uh, in the future. And we got to put a pin in it and get that basketball game, man. So I'll, the basketball game's on. I got to get my Achilles better. But the basketball game's <laughs> on. I'll come on your show again. But I do want to say something. It's a, it's mutually admiration. You You were one of the first guys I ever met that stepped up and said, okay, you've got a position on the VA committee. You can do a lot of really good things. And here's what you need to do, John. And, and like you said, we laid out the agenda for toxic exposure 15 years ago. And, and it, was, it was you who I've never served. You served. You talked about the, the Iraq, Afghanistan vets passionately and powerfully like you do on this show every week or every day. And, and the bottom line is, is that uh, 
we did, did what we did on the PACT Act because the veteran service organization, like the one you used to represent, stepped up the plate and made it clear what the expectations were. And you did that from the first day I got in the United States Senate. So thank you, Paul Riker. Well, you're a great American. I look forward to posting up on you in the paint and, and putting double digits on you and, and Cory Booker. I'm going to get some folks on, on my team and we'll square it up. Um, I'm taking you down, Riker. I'm taking you down. <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to be good content. We might ESPN might want this. This is the righteous sports coming soon from live inside Tester's office. But you're you're a great American, my friend. I wish you and, and your family and your team all the best. I, I hope I see you soon and stay vigilant, my friend. Amen, brother. Be safe. There he is. My favorite senator in America. Now, I hope you understand why. And I hope you can come out and cheer for us when we get that basketball game finally set up. It will be a doozy. And speaking of doozies, just as I was getting ready to record this on Wednesday night, it appears the PAC Act is the latest victim of Washington fuckery. There was some kind of deal announced between Manchin and the Democrats, and the PACT Act has been stopped. You can't make this shit up, folks. So on June 16th, 14 senators voted against the PAC Act. We named them on this show. And after a technical fix, 41 Republicans voted against it today and kept it from moving forward. So once again, veterans get screwed by those who sent them to war. Led by America's biggest asshole in the Senate, Pennsylvania Republican Pat Toomey who said he has accounting issues with the bill. He says he thinks he has fixes that can get moved quickly, but it basically means the House has to vote on it again, and everybody in Washington is set to leave town Friday. So the whole thing is in doubt, and our hopes of sending this to the White House quickly just took a huge hit. And Senator Pat Toomey, he now has blood on his hands. Veterans with cancer are dying, and he's playing games. He alone is delaying this bill yet again. Our friends are dying, and he should resign in shame now. Stay tuned to my social media and the Independent American's website for the latest, but if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. This is outrageous, this is shameful, and it's an example of everything that's wrong with Washington. But John Tester will be on it. And I will be, too. There's a press conference coming in Washington this week. John Stewart and others will continue to raise their voice, and we will cover it on this show and keep you updated. Be sure to follow Senator Tester on social media and support him. He's a guy out there doing the right thing daily, and especially when times are tough. And he's definitely a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. Check the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. Share yours. I've been getting a lot of them and I will continue to share them. I've also been getting a lot of Mr. Rogers since my family got COVID. And it's more important and resonant than ever. While you're on social, be sure to play Guess the Guest with me every Wednesday night. Look for the hashtag Guess the Guest. You can find us on all the socials and go to independentamericans.us. If you never have, this is the time. You can subscribe to us on any platform. You can also see video from my conversation with Senator Tester there. You can see what his hand looks like. You can see inside his office and you can see how we match up in the paint in a basketball game. 
You can also find more ways to get involved and get all our past episodes, including past episodes with folks like our friend Wes Moore, who has now officially won the Democratic primary in Maryland and is now on to the general election. And he's up against a far-right Trumpist election denier named Dan Cox. Now, Dan Cox is so terrible that current governor, a Republican himself named Larry Hogan, says he's not qualified to be governor and he will not support him. Now, this should be a wild one in Maryland, and we'll keep you updated. Unfortunately, it was a closed primary down in Maryland, but independents can vote in the general, and I hope they do, and I hope they vote for Wes. And you can hear Wes in episode 10 and episode 105. You can get it wherever you got this podcast. I also want to take a second to wish a very, very happy, very special 100th birthday to another past guest, our friend, American legend Norman Lear. My dear friend Norman, a true American hero. He joined us back on episode 69 for his 98th birthday. If you've never heard that, it's a total pleasure, a total treat. Great for a summer drive. Go check it out. But if you're on social media and you're just out in the universe, wish our friend Norman Lear a very happy 100th birthday. You can find that and all our episodes at independentamericans.us. While you're there, you can also support this show by joining our Patreon community. Big shout out to all our Patreon members, especially our new ones, including Eric Bronner. My friend Eric Bronner is now part of The Vigilant. He's also the head of Veterans for Political Innovation, a great group you should check out. I hope Eric or other folks from that organization join us on the show in the future, but they're fighting to disrupt the political system that will help independence. All that on our website where you can also get merch and represent for independent Americans. That's all at independentamericans.us. Powered by Righteous Media. And Righteous is continuing to bring you the five eyes in all our podcasts and everything we do. If you're new here, the five eyes are independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And they're brought to you by the folks who would be on my basketball team anytime against Tester or anybody else. Creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. And, of course, with great support from my amazing wife and two boys. Okay. As you heard, we've been dealing with COVID, but there's also something else that has rattled our household. Something shocking, something sad, something terrible. News broke this week that the Chaco Taco will be discontinued after almost 40 years. Yes, folks, it's true. Klondike's Chaco Taco is no more. We're saying goodbye, apparently. To our beloved ice cream truck mainstay. They're getting rid of the Choco Taco. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot Unilever. My kid eats enough of these himself to make the product profitable. And tacos plus ice cream equals happiness. My kid already has COVID. Now this? This is very unacceptable. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. We used to say it all the time. And it's definitely true this week. According to a rep for Klondike, which is owned by Unilever, the Chaco Taco was discontinued due to an unprecedented spike in demand for different Klondike products over the last two years. What kind of reasoning is that? It's ridiculous. So let's go, people. Time to mobilize. We have to get the PAC Act passed. We have to get rid of Senator Toomey. We also have to save the Chaco Taco. There's a hashtag, Save Chaco Taco, and we will continue to monitor this breaking story. Look, America's more divided than ever before, but not on Choco Tacos. And we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media 
are working to change the division, adding light to contrast the heat of the other political shows, like I hope we did today with this show at Senator Tester. So if you're among the 42% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, but you're not a diehard, if you're independent curious, this is your show. If you're just a concerned American or global citizen who cares about the future of your country and your world, this is your show. All are welcome. And I invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. Be sure to check out all the other Righteous Media podcasts, including The Firefighters with Rob Sarah and B-Dorm with Jericho Turner and Don Elevert. You can subscribe to all of them for free wherever you got this pod. And you can always check out Righteous.us. And if you're an advertiser and you'd like to be a part of this movement, check us out. We'd love to have your support. And please keep sharing the hope because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And right now, we need hope more than ever. And hope comes in many forms from many previous guests like Wes Moore and like Norman Lear and like our guest from episode 28. That's when the lead singer of the fantastic band OAR joined us, my friend Mark Roberge. And as I may have mentioned, they have a brand new album and it's great. The guys who created Crazy Game of Poker and Shattered in this town, well, they have a new album called The Arcade and it's awesome. And this is just one track that's an example. My head is always in the clouds. Summer is still about music and about trying to chill when and how you can, even if it's just with one song. And this song could be it. The whole album is fantastic and uplifting, and I want to congratulate and thank my friends over at OAR. It's perfect summer listening. So Mark, Benj, and the whole crew just keep getting better. And I can't wait to see them live later this summer with G-Love and Dispatch. They're on tour. Check them out. Maybe they're coming to a place near you. And Mark will be coming back on the show soon. We've been in touch. He's promised to come back. So stay tuned for that. And we'll need his inspiration and his music if the damn Pack Act doesn't pass soon. And if they get rid of Chaco Tacos. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant and we're all in this together. All across the big skies of Montana this summer, all across the big skies of America, all across the big skies of Ukraine, we're all still in this together. From World Health Organization Director General Tedros and Hamanum Gabrizius to Westmore to Norman Lear to whoever made the call to cancel Chaco Taco to Mark Roberge and OAR. To John Tester, to you. Keep your eyes on the skies, friends. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. Pass the PAC Act. Save Chaco Taco. And stay vigilant, America. Righteous Media.